Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My guest today is Matt Willey, and we used to work together in the early 2000s at Frost Design London. In 2014, Matt was named Designer of the Year by Creative Review, and was also elected as a member of the AGI in 2015. After many roles of working in graphic design across a number of magazines and publications, and sometimes with myself, he has gone from founding his own agency, Studio 8 in London, to now where he has spent the last five years in New York as a current art director for the New York Times magazine. Like me, Matt is an introverted creative, but sees his role as being an incredibly privileged one, to be working alongside so many of the world's greatest writers and publishers who are the front lines of communicating big ideas to the world. I'm very empathetic to Matt's ethos, that while the process of graphic design and creativity in general involves a lot of discomfort and self-doubt, it is an incredibly important position to be in. Um, so it's really, really cool to be here in New York today. So welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. That's great to see you too, man. Um, yeah, it's so cool to get together. Uh, I get together in a, a completely different city, a different situation. And it's, I'm really proud to kind of see your, your growth and, you know, what you've done uh, with your life in the last, we, we worked together like maybe, what, 15 years ago now? Yeah, something like that. A long, long time ago. Yeah. And so much has changed. And I guess, I guess for, for me and a lot of people listening in, it's kind of understanding how that, how that came about and you know, what was a turning point for you. Wow. Um, I think working for you was a turning point generally as a designer. No, truthfully, I am. <clears throat> I, don't need the, I don't need my ego rubbing or anything, though. Really? You've changed. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. No, I, I had a, I've had two sort of great bouts of ambivalence towards the idea of being a graphic designer, and I think before working with you, I was very uncertain about it. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I left my first ever job out of college it was the first time I'd been paid for a job. I was, uh, my wife was nine months pregnant, and I I quit. Um, seems like, seems like a foolhardy thing to do, but yeah, it panned yeah. out. And I, I ended up working with you, and I think it was the first time I, I didn't have a choice. It meant I had to take design far more seriously. Um, uh, Zembler was a huge project for me. I, I did a talk in London last week and started with that. Um, there hasn't been a moment. Since, so what was that, 15 years ago? Yeah. There hasn't been a moment since then where I haven't been working on a magazine project of one sort or another, quite often several at the same time. Yeah. Um, and Zembler, in retrospect, was, I didn't realize how lucky we were at the time, but, you know, Dan Quo, the editor, became one of my closest friends. And uh, I think it's an unusual start to magazines to be given such incredible content. It's just fantastic writing and ideas. And then to be afforded so much creative freedom, you and I worked incredibly hard on it, but it was so much fun. Um, I, I, I really missed that magazine, but it was, a, it was definitely a, a starting point for me, whether I like it or not, because it was, you know, I've done an awful lot of magazines since, and it began with that one. I mean, both of us were shitting ourselves, I think, at the time. Yeah. I mean, you dropped I, me in the deep end with that. I'd, <laughs> I hadn't done a make I remember feeling incredibly out of my depth, and I felt like, well, I mean, I learned a lot doing it. It was a, a I, I think you gave me a, 
shitload of responsibility that I quite frankly wasn't ready for. Um, but it was a quick way of learning. Um, and it, it, I am very, very fond of that magazine. I, yeah. I still think of it very fondly. No, me too. I mean, I remember just you know, us working, beavering away. I think we had a month with no parameters. Like it could be mm. said, you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. He had the name worked out, which was cool. That was a great name. And then, yeah. and, and, I mean, was, we just did hundreds of covers, hundreds of layouts, playing with fonts, and it was just like, when is it ready? When is yeah, it? When no, is no. it? But it was never good enough. And no, it wasn't. You'd go back in, and I'd, I'd spend entire weekends. I remember having all those printouts on the studio floor, just mm. sort of going off into the distance, yeah, and we'd walk up and down it, and could we make this better? I also loved how you set it up in a way that... Um, there were no style sheets or anything that made it easy. There was nothing that would sort of predetermine how the page would look. So you're sort of starting from scratch in each one, which was incredibly difficult, but also very, very exciting. Yeah, um, and it was, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I remember, certainly went against all that I was taught at Pentagram was like, you know, to to be, you know, create kind of a, a strong system. There was yep. no system. There was the fonts that we used time yep. and time again, but it was that each time was like a blank page. And it was also the kind of thing you're not supposed to do with a literary magazine, I think. Exactly. It was a sort of, you know, it's a strange, it's sort of the, 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 what you're supposed to do with a literary magazine is it's, it's kind of completely in service to the writing, so you do almost no design. This was the opposite of that. We were, the strapline was fun with words, and that was, you know, that was, we were able to have fun with words as well as Dan it was a, yeah, I mean, there was a certain nervousness around. From my perspective, it was a nervousness. Same with Big Magazine in the past as well. It was a similar kind of brief, like just do whatever you want. Here's the content, yeah, yeah. play with it, and create, create, a, create a magazine. And then it's as good as you make it, right? Yeah, so, and you could get it completely wrong. But yeah, we yeah. managed to kind of, through absolute determination, put everything we could into it. I mean, the thing is, it, wasn't, it, it only lasted like nine issues, didn't it? But it, unfortunately... Um, and it kind of ran out of ran out of funding. Otherwise, hopefully, it would have probably been around uh, yeah, still I, today. I am slightly philosophical about. I think magazines should have shelf lives. I think some magazines go on forever and ever, and probably shouldn't. Um, mm. I do miss that one, and I think it could have lasted a bit longer. But I don't know. It was great while it lasted. Yeah, it was exciting and stressful. Like a lot of things that are worthwhile are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a big thinker, like a lot of creative people, and you know can be intense at times. But you have a huge heart, <laughs> very, very passionate about doing things really well. So I guess you know it's it's as a designer, when do you when do you know it's right? When do you know your life is heading in the right direction, or you're doing the right project? I don't know. I think I've always struggled with that. I I think confidence as a designer, or confidence in what you're doing as a designer, is fascinating for me. I, I, so much of it is subjective and a lot of it is you applying your taste to something and i have moments where yeah i, I don't know that's a I, you can edit this out I, no, no, this is this I, is real yeah i, I I've, I've always struggled to I, I am fascinated by how confidence works i'm i'm not a confident person but i have moments where i am confident in what i'm doing and then i have other moments where i'm not and i, I think that's a struggle i don't think that's unique to me i think a lot of designers have that where they you go up and down. There's no right or wrong to it. It's not like a math equation where you do this and this and this is the correct outcome. And I think I worry about that a lot. And I think the result of me worrying about it a lot is just to work incredibly hard at it. Yeah. I wish there was a better word for it, but I think what we do is a craft or, you know, the, the more effort and work you put into it, the better it is. And 
that becomes an illness, I think, eventually. <laughs> it's, you know, it's midnight and you think, well, if I work for another two hours, I might make this 10% better and uh, you never stop. I totally, I totally align with that, by the way. And I think that that, I think the key thing is not to go too far with that, not to beat yourself up so much about yeah. it. Because uh, it can get that way. No, I'm learning that. It took me a while, but that just comes from experience and yeah. doing more and more work. And I'm slowly, very slowly getting slightly more confident about what I do. <laughs> but surely the momentum. I mean, I guess let's, let's, let's go back. You, 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 left, you left London yep. uh, to New York. I mean, how did, that all, how did that all come about? And what does it feel like now? It must be incredible. It feels great. It's a pretty easy decision for me. I've always loved New York. Um, I'd been in London for 20 years, and I don't miss it that much, honestly. I, I miss my friends and family. I maybe underestimated that a little, um, just how much I'd miss them. And there were some good pubs I miss. How did it come about? I, I had helped the New York Times do a redesign uh, in 2011, I think it was, uh, when Aram Depressis was the design director. And I'd got to know a few of them. We'd spent three months doing a redesign back then when Hugo Lindgren was the new editor. And I had been coming back and forth trying to help uh, Condé Nast title, and I was spending sort of half a month in New York. I was meeting up with Gail Bickler, and we were good friends, and uh, there was a new editor coming in, and it just sort of happened through... She, she asked whether I would be interested, and I said yes, and we, we figured it out, and I, I, I really wanted to do it. And I think the only thing that gave me pause, the only thing that would have stopped it is if... Um, if my kids, you know, it was a, a big thing to... I, I remember moving around schools when I was young mm. and finding it very traumatic. And I worried a lot about taking kids out of schools that were very happy and had friends, all that sort of stuff. Um, if they were unhappy, I would have turned around and gone back. Um, but they're, they're having a great time. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it, when you go from, you know, kitchen table publication, yeah, the one we were doing back in London, to... Um, working for a proper magazine, a proper yeah, publisher. No, it's, it's like my first grown-up job. No amazing. Um, and the team that's there must be phenomenal. They're extraordinary, yeah. But it is, it's a massive difference. I, th I mean, after Zemblo, I worked on Elephant Magazine and Plastique. That's right. And, you know, magazine after magazine, they were sort of small startups and terribly exciting things. And I guess when you're a small team, you know, there's no... There's very little hierarchy. You're all just in this mess together and trying to make the best of it you can. And you feel very integral. You, you know, you're, you're a big part of it yeah, by yeah. virtue of being one of only four people in it. Yeah, and, yeah. and what I do now is very different. The team is huge, but it's, it's very rewarding and very exciting in a different kind of a way. I think it's an extraordinary moment to be there. I'm very lucky to be there at this particular point, to have an editor like Jake Silverstein, to have a photo director like Kathy Ryan, and to have a design director like Gail Bickler, it's like those three things are aligned and maybe those things don't last forever, but this is a, a really golden moment to yeah. be there, I think. I mean, and yourself, of course. Well, I think I'm very lucky to be there and to have the support of, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a phenomenal team. And I, I was generally worried about how that was going to work because I had no experience of that. I'd never done a weekly magazine that scared the shit out of me. Mm. And I'd never worked in anywhere as big and as corporate as that. Um, mm. And I didn't know how that was going to work. It's sort of completely new thing for me. I remember I worked on the um, Independent magazine, which is a weekly magazine. There was no room for procrastination. No. There was no room for having second thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the same. I don't know if it's the same with you, but it's like it's really fast. It is really fast. I, I, I've learned to really enjoy that. You have to make decisions very quickly, and then you're very quickly on to 
something new. Um, and also it, it, it suits me. I, I think I have had these moments where I've struggled with the idea of being a graphic designer, being sort of indifferent or ambivalent to it at certain points. I think design in and of itself isn't much. I think it's, it's, it's always part or it should always be part of something bigger or more important. And that distinction at the New York Times is very straightforward and easy for me to understand. What we do is in service to great journalism and to putting stories out. Um, and there's an immediacy to it. I, you know, the feeling that you're playing a role in getting that information out. Um, you know, um, it's timely and it's important. And mm. it's about things that people are talking about and they're part of the news and culture right now. Quite often you're designing... <clears throat> Uh, in real time for world events, um, and that, that that all of that's just very new for me. And it's coupled with the fact that just being at the New York Times has been an extraordinary. It's felt like an extraordinary privilege. It's been a very strange, deeply upsetting four years, um, one way or another, um, with everything that's gone on: um, sort of mass shootings, police shootings, terrorisms, yeah. these brutal civil wars, and devastating weather. Um, long, long list of stuff. And where I sit on one end of the third floor of the New York Times building and the other end of the same floor is the newsroom. And it does, I feel quite honoured to you know, be at the failing New York Times to watch all these extraordinary journalists and reporters try and make sense of it all. It's, um, I, I can't remember a more upsetting four years in terms of what's gone on in the world, but I think the vantage point of being at the New York Times has been a, quite an extraordinary privilege. How does it feel like working on live, rich content that is, you get some of the best writers in the world, photographers in the world, mm. like you just, it's true journalism as well. What does that feel like? Uh, it feels very exciting, but it's, it's also very varied. The magazine within the New York Times is, is it's quite independent, which I think is what makes it so interesting in terms of its editorial voice. But it can and will talk about a very wide range of different mm. things. So you do something on a, a profile on a pop star and the next time you're, you're doing something about Boko Haram or we just did a long story about Yemen. I worked on something to do with the Arab Spring. You know, no, it, it's, it's very mixed, um, but the quality of the content is quite extraordinary. And, you know, again, keep using the word privilege, but it does, I get given these extraordinary manuscripts to read and respond to and I guess the way you design those varies depending on what the subject is and so how have you balanced I mean coming to New York is pretty I mean I came here on the uh, flew here uh, a week ago and I'm just beginning to climatize to mm. still in like you know jaws dropping and going oh my god this yep, is incredible yep. and oh my god that's scary or such mixed emotions what's it like to live here it's great I, I felt like I, I knew it quite well but I still find it incredibly exciting it has a sort of frenetic pace to it that I you know if, if things are going well and you're feeling alright that's an amazing feeling um, I still have a smile coming off across the Manhattan Bridge on the smell you know, or smile <laughs> so what did you say I smell definitely but I, I, I meant <laughs> smile um, yeah you know, these those sort of silver subway cars it always seemed very romantic to me mm. and you get this extraordinary view I live in Brooklyn and I come across mm. the bridge on the subway and you see that skyline come across and yeah no, I, I, I still get a kick out of all those sorts of things I get a kick out of steam coming out of the streets and yellow cabs and the banter I find it quite intimidating I, I ordered a coffee they get these little stands on the corners and 
there's a long list line of people and everyone knows their order and it's a long, complicated, but they, they churned it out so fast and I was getting very stressed about holding up the line or not knowing what my order was going to be. And I finally got there and I, I said I wanted a coffee with half and half and I want a bagel with da-da-da-da. I felt hugely relieved to have got it all out. Wow. And he handed it down and then he said, do you want a napkin? And I completely froze. I didn't know what... I. My, I didn't know whether I wanted a napkin or not. And he leant over and said, it's a dangerous city, take the napkin. And the, the whole line behind me sort of burst into... I, it's a sort of... Fantastic. I, I love a lot of that banter yeah. and dialogue. I, um, Fantastic. It's a friendly place as well. I, I found London unfriendly. We probably shouldn't get into that. Anyway, no, I we, think we, we should. I mean, I, I, Londonisters won't be very happy to hear this, but yeah. No, no I was That's there, one I, I was I was there it. last week, and I, I love visiting it, and I, I, my best friends are there. But um, I've always, for reasons I can't quite articulate, I've always felt slightly more comfortable, the slightly more me here, which is which is enough of a reason for me to want to live here. And it's a mysterious, I don't know how to describe it beyond that, I just feel more comfortable here. Well, in a way, I mean, this, is, this you know podcast is all about designing your life. I mean, some people are going to let life happen to them and they find their way, but it, it sounds to me like you've homed in on a place that feels right for you. Yeah, maybe. Not, and, I mean, and it would be deliberate. It wouldn't just be by accident, would it? Have you designed your life? I mean, you talk about kind of you coming to New York, you feel so passionate about this is a, this is a, a city that feels right for you. Well, I suppose I get confused London. about I I don't know if I've designed my life. I just uh, certain things have happened. I've made by my standards, quite brave decisions every now and then. I decided to shut my studio. I decided to quit my first job in order to go and work with you, but I hadn't lined it up. You know, I've, I've made some brave decisions, but I don't know whether that, I don't know whether I would call that designing in my life. But I do think a lot of what's happened has been um, the result of happenstance, and I'm very lucky that certain things came along and I grabbed various opportunities. Um, I get a little confused with the idea of calling. I, I don't think that's me designing my life. I think that sort of by virtue of you know, sort of existing and working and things happening every now and then an opportunity popped up and I've, you know, I've either grabbed them or I haven't. And mm -hmm. it's just sort of life's messy and complicated and occasionally you get these chances to do something that seem exciting or different and that was, that was the feeling when I decided to come here. And... As you said, you've been you've been here four years now, which has obviously flown by. Mm. Um, now, fully fledged New Yorker, <laughs> um, and has this opened up lots of opportunities for you outside of the magazine? I mean, sort of projects and people you've connected with through doing the publication and living here. Uh, I've I've certainly met a lot of interesting people. I've, I have I've, I take on little projects around. I mean, a weekly is quite intense, a lot of work. Mm. Um, but I've been very lucky that certain little projects have come along. I've, I've been doing side projects, and they're weirdly important to me. I, I, I got back involved with Port this year, um, designed a few features and covers, and that's sitting at my kitchen table with a glass of wine, listening to Radio 4, and designing entirely on my own terms. It was as just, if you're in London. Well, it, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange. I've, I've, I felt I really enjoy doing it, and I feel very confident doing that in a way that I probably didn't before, and it's and I think it is because it's so different to the process at the New York Times, which is just all of a sudden I could design something because it just felt good and I wasn't answerable to anyone. I could, I wanted to use that image. I wanted to put type here. And, and there was something very fun about that. I, I could do it very quickly and I really enjoyed doing it. So, yeah, I've, I've been taking on very little projects. I have to be very careful not to 
overstretch myself or do anything that sort of gets in the way of what I do with my day job. And with your day job, in your role now as art director? Yeah. Do you have to direct? I mean, have you got people under you who... <laughs> Yeah, you know it's a funny term that. No, well, sometimes I, I, you yeah. still can design. You still sit there. Absolutely, and I, I, it's a strange thing. I think the the further you get along in your career, the less and less of what you're good at you end up doing. It's, it frustrates the hell out of me. I, America and American magazines are set up with this very. There's a big hierarchy and there's a masthead, and where you are on that masthead is very important. Yeah, yeah. By virtue of working on those small magazines, it's never really occurred to me or mattered. I just want to be doing interesting stuff yeah. and it was part of I think I should probably do <laughs> I should probably be doing more directing but I I am um, the setup at the moment is 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 very suited to me I get to design a lot yeah. and I I don't have I don't have any great ambition to direct lots of people I, I'm not sure if it's my strong suit I, I do the best I can we have an amazing team and incredible designers who really don't need any help from me but I, I occasionally will look at what they're doing and point and say well done <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where do you go from here have you thought further than you know uh, Christmas <laughs> no I, I, I don't know I um, yeah I, I don't know I don't have a master plan I, I I don't think I ever have I never really thought too far into the future things seem to happen I've been very lucky but know. you're you're content now and yeah I'm having a lovely time yeah that's fantastic and then obviously you still look like you're in good shape. How do you how do you kind of maintain any kind of well you know focus on well being? I'm not good at that. I I I need to get better at it. And I'm sure you'll give me a lecture on this. But I need to do more exercise. I need to you know I'm I'm, this, I'm going to work on that. Did you do anything? Uh, Were you in the marathon yesterday? By the way, no, I wasn't. Oh, you I, Did you I went down to? and clapped. That was exhausting. <laughs> 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 any advice you'd give to a fellow? designer or fellow, a designer starting out? Um, no, I've been asked this before. I've, I've, I really struggle with that sort of stuff because I think people are sort of different and unique and what works for one person doesn't work for another. That's, I think what I learned from working with you was to work incredibly hard and that seemed to have served me well. You do a good job of this and it somehow leads on to something else. And Like I said, that was always felt like a quite a mysterious process, but it... Uh, always very lucky that the next thing came along um i really don't I, I really didn't have a plan at any point it's just every now and then you'd make a decision and seem to work out all right maybe the how you dealt with self-doubt mm -hmm. i was incredibly shy when i was a kid and i think i probably still am you just get better at you know mechanisms to hide that or yeah. function with it or whatever um but how did you overcome that I don't just know if time. I have, I still am. It's just sort of, you throw yourself into, you know, going into somewhere like the New York Times was a massive challenge. And I think throwing yourself into situations where it's out of your comfort zone, as in the past has helped me. I, I, I make myself do lectures and yeah, the sort of anxiety and stress in the build up to it sometimes doesn't seem worth it, but actually doing it and coming out the other end and not doing a terrible job at it was rewarding in its weird way. Um, I, I haven't overcome it. I'm, I'm sort of, you just, you get older and figure out ways to deal with it better. I remember I was thinking about that because I'm very similar to you. I was incredibly shy. Um, and still am. It's in that situation where you go do a talk or even doing this, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. So, Should we start again? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
Um, I think that in terms of, yeah, that, that same thing for me is like that, certainly when you're starting out, like on a project, what I used to do when it was a self, self-initiated project or a class uh, project in, in the design school, it kind of, it was very loose, the kind of the end date, you know, what mm. you had loads and loads of time, you could do whatever you want. There's a kind of a brief. Um, but if you didn't deliver it, you kind of didn't get in big trouble. Whereas the real projects have a beginning and end. They have a lot of, you know, often money at stake, yep. often. Money, deadlines, and immovable deadlines. And many people involved in these things. And and the first one is scary because naturally you start to kind of try to avoid the deadline. You get close to it and go, oh my God, it's not good enough. And kind of the fear kicks in and you self-doubt and all that kind of stuff. But um, once you've done one, once you've done like one magazine mm-hmm. or an issue or, or a logo or whatever it might be, um you realize that you've achieved it. You realize that you actually, you've come to the end point. You've come to the point where it is done. And the more you do that over time, the more you get more confident. Each each page you lay out or each magazine goes to print or website or whatever it might be, yep. you you build this strength. You still might have an element of self-doubt. And I think that actually is very healthy. But, you know, I think you're right. I think that the, that element of self-doubt is sort of crucial for me. It sort of drives you to work harder or worry about uh, there is an element of me worrying about a project that is completely essential to me doing any good at it that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. a good sentence um, no i totally agree with that but not to the point where it's um it's destructive because it can easily go the other way too it can far. yeah and it can it can get overwhelming i i think i've learned how to not do that yeah i remember starting out i mean i used to feel like it to virtually die yeah, <laughs> with each project. Yeah, the night before you presented it, uh, it was just horrific, horrific. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of a mindset. I don't know what it is. Again, probably maybe it's self doubt, um, or the fear of not being uh, the fear of failure. Probably, I mean, people talk often about this idea: of fail again, fail again, better. Yeah, um, it's Beckett, isn't it? Huh? Is that Samuel Beckett? Yeah, Samuel Beckett. A fraction of a quote, a bigger yeah. quote. But I, I, I don't believe in failure. I don't like the idea of failure i try to do everything possible not to fail i don't deliberately go out let's fuck up let's let's make a mistake you know i I, and some people do have that mindset and it works for them but if you fail then get up and have another go isn't it yeah but i yeah i hold it for a long time (laughs) 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 what do you feel like today because obviously a big thing has happened is a far more focus on co-creation so people are working together to create solutions um, across an organization like never before. And so it might not be the same on a magazine, but maybe that it, that's a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. But maybe you're still the guy that sits there and lays it out. You know, whereas, you know, when we're working on a lot of brands and other, other projects, it's very much a kind of community or collaborative process. Um, uh, I know you've... You worked for us for a bit in Sydney back then, and I know that some of this kind of the strategy stuff you're going, oh, yeah, this is a bit strategy <laughs> for the sake of strategy. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but you no, know, what, I, I, how do you I, feel about that? About working well, it's with kind of the, it's kind of in a way, we're shifting, the world's shifting quite quickly uh, towards AI and a lot of things being done by bots and mm-hmm. now and in the very near future. And we're still talking about what you're doing is kind of the craft, the craft mm-hmm. of communication, the craft of taking various elements of a story and putting it into a, a form that people can engage with. Yeah. I don't know if I have a like-for-like like comparison, but I think what you do is probably more involved on that front. I, 
we're having to think much harder about how a story translates online. Um, we have done some really interesting experiments with uh, virtual reality. Um, uh, and I think we're, and we just did an event around an issue which was exciting. And that's not high tech, but it was a way of presenting the magazine in a different way um, that involves a lot of people doing different things. Um, that's kind of the extent of it at the moment. But the, the magazine's role is seems to be changing quite a lot. We're taking on more and more different... We're sort of applying magazine thinking to other things now, whether it's an event or whether it's a one-off section of the actual physical newspaper. Um, our department is growing and I think will continue to grow and I have no idea what we'll end up doing, but it's it's definitely a changing landscape. And it's exciting. It's just yeah. you have to... I, I didn't think we would be doing an event. I didn't think we would be doing these new sections. I... You know, virtual reality came out of nowhere and having to think about how those things work is exciting. I, I like not knowing, <laughs> sort of learning anything is interesting and exciting. So, mm. and, um, I just did some uh, type film titles for BBC. I knew nothing about that, didn't know how to do it. And it was fascinating and I absolutely loved it. It was cool. sort of just something I had to learn and deal with and figure out and it's just terribly exciting did you have any self-doubt doing that uh i'm sure i did i it felt like it went very well and I, I my memory is i just really enjoyed doing it but yeah no, i'm sure i i'm sure i worried endlessly about it at some point i always do that's the important thing i think and that's something i talk about in the book and I certainly apply in my life as i say yes to most things mm -hmm. um was that yes <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's like my son, Louis, when I ask him uh, something. He goes, mm, you mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that is from the kind of premise of like, it opens doors. You know, saying yes to something creates abundance, creates opportunities that you might not know how to tackle, mm -hmm. but you find you, you know that you're going to find your way through it. Yep. I mean, you get into it and go, holy crap, what have I said yes to this for? Probably what you're thinking right now about this interview. Completely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it takes you to somewhere new. It takes you somewhere, it takes you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And it's actually not necessarily such a scary space as you might think it is. And you come away from it going, wow, that's really, I've learned something from that. I've yeah. grown. I've been challenged. I've done something, I've done something I'm pretty happy with. And Completely. Uh, no, I agree. I, I think when we set up Studio 8 Design, I think that was one of the things that we, the, the ethos was you just, you said yes to everything you took on and if you needed to grow or hire someone on as a freelancer, you'd sort of dealt with it. And I don't know what this means, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, yeah. When I decided to close Studio 8 Design, and this was, again, I had this sort of feeling like, I, I never felt like I chose to be a graphic designer and that really bothered me for a long time. It's like, how could this possibly be what I'm supposed to be if I hadn't made a sort of deliberate, conscious decision to do it? It always felt like I'd sort of fallen into it and... I closed the studio in order to have a think about it, which at the time was a really brave thing for yeah. me to do because I had young kids and... And a business partner. Yeah, and that was, you know, we, we wrapped it up and I, I, for a little while I thought they were going to carry it on. But anyway, I, I was looking at woodworking courses. I was, you know, I was really thinking about what would I like to do. And it turns out I'm not good at anything else. Um, and the slightly foolhardy thing about, I had this one year after closing Studio 8 well, I had to say, I had to take on some design projects because I had to pay the rent and feed the small people. Um, 
and it was the most enjoyable year as a graphic designer I've ever had. I, I think about that quite, and it sort of resolved a lot of issues for me. But part of that year, because I was working on my own, I was having to say no to certain things because you know, I, I redesigned the independent newspaper, and during that three months, there was just no way I could have done anything else. So yeah. I, all of a sudden, that was completely new for me. I've, there was something quite empowering about saying, I'm really sorry, I can't do this. And it, um, so, yeah, I don't know what the, what the lesson is here, but I, that one year happened to be the sort of most enjoyable year I had as a graphic designer. And a large part of it, I think, was being put in a position where I had to say no to a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, that's interesting, that, because, I mean, people do advise, whenever I talk about, you know, saying yes, I, you know, business people tend to say no, or they, yeah. they tend to say, you know, you should be more selective. Yeah. But um, I, 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 I think I think you're right, though. I think saying yes to stuff and opening yourself up to opportunities, even if you don't know how to do it, is is the right thing to do. I It may have just been a really enjoyable year for me because it was a break from doing that for however many years. It might have just been as simple as that and just have a break from doing that. I still think that's the best way to go. And yeah. part of my brain, when I was asked to do the BBC titles, should have been, well, I don't know how to do this. I should probably say no, but I, I didn't. I said yes and loved every minute of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's funny you mentioned the independent newspaper because I, I I redesigned the independent newspaper in I think two thousand. Yeah, I'm just following in your first no, step no, slowly, just no, trying no, to no. But you you keep, did a good pace. <laughs> you did a good job of it. We're closed. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I well, did to the independent what I did to Frost London. I yeah, sort of drove into. Hang the on a minute. Hang on. This is the end of the podcast series. <laughs> soon, to, <laughs> soon to be defunct. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that in terms of the pressure. And you feel like at the time of doing a publication like that, the immense responsibility, time pressure, but also visibility mm. of every, you know, line, layout, dot, comma, every single thing. And, yeah. you know, and, and being like your perfectionist, like a bit like I am, is like when you're working on a, a slower publication, you have time to do that. When you're working on something that comes out every day, yeah, it's horrific. <laughs> I... Yeah, I, I think maybe because I was having a a good time and I was feeling I I really enjoyed it. It was a I, I had an absolute and it was tough. It was very difficult. And you came up against some strong resistance to wanting to do anything interesting or um but I had a very good editor, Amal Rajan, who was a sort of saving grace. But I absolutely loved it. I I I had a really good time for those three months. Incredibly yeah. tough, but I I'd do it again. Um so that's incredible, wasn't it? That that for someone who starts off to be incredibly shy, uh, uncomfortable about certain situations, to to be in that situation is complete contradiction. Like yeah. it's like it's you're in the most tightest corner you could ever imagine. Yeah, I mean it's a bit like your design life book. I have over time figured out ways to. You know, people, that's what life is, isn't it? You sort of struggle to make sense of it and figure it out. Um, I couldn't continue to be that shy or that nervous and it just made no sense and it was I can't point at one particular moment where it all changed I just slowly got better at it and less shy and yeah. you know um, the VR project you did at the New York Times mm -hmm. was phenomenal the, the displaced box. one yeah yeah that came with every issue it was a million how many million or three million I think it was 1.3 million it was a partnered up with Google and there were the sort of flat pack Google headsets, basically, that you could slide your phone into. And the slightly ironic thing was that the way of getting it out there was by putting it in the newspaper. So it was this sort of old 
mechanism to yeah, push yeah. things out into the world. But what it did was put a huge number of these headsets into people's hands all at once, really for the first time, because the headsets were, were still are expensive and not everyone has them. Mm. Um, and then the project itself, which was um, an extraordinary bit of journalism, it was very heavy hitting. Everything I'd, I, I, I find it quite, I've, certainly at the time, I found it quite easy to be snooty about the idea of virtual reality. Everything I'd seen up until that point were sort of vehicles for showing off the technology. There was yeah. nothing more than that. They were sort of, here you are on a roller coaster. On, yeah. And this was, you know, Jake, our editor, had seen a headline in the newspaper maybe six months before this, which talked about this huge, this was the biggest number of displaced people uh, because of war and various things that they had been since World War II. Um, and half of that number were children. Um, and the... They, the VR film follows three kids around the world who have been displaced in one way or another by war. One in Ukraine, one in... Um, I forget where they are. Um, and it's incredibly powerful. There's, there's something... Uh, there's something kind of... Compa- it, it's a weird... It's, it, it's not like watching it on TV because you're sort of in this world. And I think we've become very used to seeing horrendous things on TV and yeah. not be proportionally affected. You're not as upset as you should be by seeing someone killed on TV. It sort of offers this weird distance between you and what you're seeing. Kind of sanitized. Yeah, and maybe that will happen one day with virtual reality, but what was... it's a very it's, It felt to me like a very powerful tool, just in terms, purely in terms of just generating empathy. Um, and it had a very wide-ranging audience, I realised. Also, my son, who was nine at the time, watched it two or three times, and he was being placed into a bombed-out school in Ukraine, mm. listening to someone who was roughly his age talk about, you know, his desk used to be here and there's this hole in the ceiling. It's Yeah, I, th- I thought it was extraordinary. Uh, it really changed my opinion about what could be done with that. Have you guys done anything like that since? Was it a one-off? Um, there's been VR projects. I think the paper have done various things. I, I, I don't think we've done anything quite like that again. I mean, I think it was a brilliant piece on focusing on not virtual reality, but reality. Yeah, that, that absolutely. And putting you somewhere that you can't get to or would yeah. find very hard to be. So what do you think, because I think, you know, again, it makes me think about, you know, publications, you know, print versus new technology like that, because it's mm. still storytelling, but it's a far more, you don't have to read, of course. You just, yep. you engage in it, you listen and you, you move around. I mean, there's presumably... In a way, magazines and the way that we communicate in terms of print is still kind of an it's kind of an old fashioned medium, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. in terms of what we can now do today. Yeah, but we're still predominantly communicating via these means. What do you think the future looks like? I, I don't know. I, I do know that people have been saying print's dead for as long as I can remember, and it isn't. I think print will change and evolve or be different. Maybe there'll be less of it, but what's left is better i don't know but um i don't know vr is was interesting and people consume far more of our magazine online through their mobile than by picking up the printed physical thing um so that's you know that's not going to change and i think that will uh, do, you, do you enjoy working in in that kind of i find it quite challenging I, I, i'm not sure if i enjoy it it's still a if i still find the limits of it frustrating the things that you would like to be able to do are sometimes just Tough, but I imagine that will change. Well, what is that, though? Because, I mean, I still love a magazine, a white spread, empty page, 
to play with. Mm. What is that? Is that just our generation? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's always been exciting. Just the idea of having a great photograph and some type next to each other is, there's something wonderful about that. Mm. And that's, that is a hard thing to, whatever that feeling is, it's a hard thing to do in on your mobile. A lot of publishers are talking about this is actually, they're increasing their sales and their, yeah. the number of publications. The same with the magazine. Yeah, newspaper. as far as I know. I, has a huge reach, of course. Yep, absolutely. I I don't know what the exact number is, but I, it's doing well. There's is something it? so romantic about that when you go to a city like New York and you see people on a Saturday yeah. uh, in the in a coffee shop window deeply engaged in a publication. Yeah, yeah. It's different to the... Somewhat, I mean, all of us are on our phones. You take in information from so many different places now. You read something on Twitter, someone sends you something on Instagram, there's a feed that gives an alert. I, I think that... I think the next generation maybe will be better uh, brains that can deal with all that. But I, I find it very hard to keep hold of all that information. There's just too much stuff. Mm. And still reading something like a physical printed newspaper seems to work better for me in terms of just holding on to like letting things sink into the mud. You can't... Uh, I totally agree. I mean, there's yeah. something kind of cool about, you know, you do all what you do and you know that there's a publication in people's hands on Saturday morning. So you know that that is a moment when people can engage with it. I think so, yeah. Um, okay, so anything you want to say? Anything you want to like talk about? I've, I think on the subway here, when you were talking about like, crossroads or moments in your life, the biggest one in a weird way for me was when I was really, really young, when my mum and dad discovered I was deaf. And I can't, I can't stop thinking about it because it was such a... It's, um, it's hard to explain this to anyone, but they were told by a specialist doctor that, I, that because my hearing loss was so severe that I would never speak normally and I would never go to a normal school. And I think they got second and third opinions and it was unequivocal. I wasn't, you know, this is unanimous decision. I wasn't a borderline case when, you're, when your hearing loss is this bad. This is just what happens. And instead of just accepting this sort of unwavering opinion, my parents decided to seek out this woman called Mary Cortman Davis who had what was at the time a, a fairly controversial technique where, because the, the predetermined path when, you, when your hearing loss is that bad is you go to a, a deaf school or you go to a deaf unit attached to the school. And the teaching often wasn't particularly great in those, but also the emphasis was all on sign language. And what happens is if, when you start developing sign language is your speech kind of inevitably falls away. Um, and my parents decided to to find this woman, Mary Cortman Davis, who was a speech therapist, and she had this slightly controversial at the time technique where it concentrated much more on speech, which is an amazing thing. I, th I think if a doctor tells me uh, my daughter needs this, or you know she's, you know, th I, I just sort of accept that. And the fact that they didn't, and the fact that they found this woman, and I worked really, really, really hard with her. I don't remember it, and this is another curious, I have a sort of slightly mysterious relationship with memory, but I, instead of going to school for the first few years, I, I sat with this speech therapist and my mum and just learned to speak. And as a result, I think I speak okay. And, and because I spoke okay, I was the first person with my kind of hearing loss to ever go to a normal comprehensive school. So that is a huge achievement to, have to sort of make it there. Um, and you think about those moments in your life looking back where if this had happened or if this hadn't happened, how different things would be. Amazing. That's by far, I mean, 
Absolutely. beyond anything else. And actually everything from that moment onwards to me has felt a bit like a, a bonus. It's, um, I feel like I'm getting away with it every day. And I struggled academically. I, I found school very tough, but having made it there, and actually that probably leads into me being a designer. I was academically, I don't think I was stupid. I just think I was, I found school very tough. Most subjects were, probably still are, very um, dependent on language. And my hearing aids weren't very good, and um, the only thing I was any good at was drawing. Mm. It suited me. It was a kind of solitary pursuit. I didn't have to talk to anyone. Um, and then if you flunk all your GCSEs, but the only one you get is art, then the, really only the next thing you can do, unless you drop out of school, is art A-level. Yeah. And once you've done that, everyone tells you to go to foundation. Yeah, yeah. I went to foundation, had a fantastic time, thought yeah. painting would be interesting, lost my nerve and got convinced to do illustration at Central St. Martins. Scraped on, I was on a reserve list up until the last minute, I think the week before. And they accepted me onto illustration, didn't get on with the illustration course, tried to focus on photography. That didn't go well either and then really ended up doing the last thing that was in that building, which was graphic design. So it came out of St. Martins. Graphic design for dummies. Yeah. Graphic I did designers. the same course. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I, 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 if you if you pick moments in your life where things would have been different, that's way and beyond. I mean, that's just I think about that obsessively. I, I, and it's strange to me that I don't remember it, but apparently I worked very, very hard with her. And yeah. I don't think anyone would realise talking to me how deaf I am. I, you know, the technology in my hearing aids is getting better and better, and they get smaller and smaller. Um, and I've become very good at nodding at the right time in conversations even if i don't know what the hell's going on um yeah well firstly obviously that's incredible your parents just absolutely persevered to just find amazingly lucky i extraordinarily lucky that they 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 decided to not just accept what was being told to them by at that point three individual specialists yeah. extraordinary bit of luck i've met people who are nowhere near as deaf as me and it's very very apparent in their speech that they're deaf I find it quite heartbreaking. It sort of seems un unfair that I had this extraordinary stroke of luck and other people didn't. Is that something that, did she go on to kind of develop that as a, did a lot of people come to her at the, on the back of that? Yeah, she had, there's a book, I'm a small footnote in it, but she's she passed away about a year ago. Um, but I owe her and my parents just everything really. The most important part of being a designer is to listen. And... You'd be surprised how many people who have fully functioned hearing don't listen at all. Yeah. They come in with a, this, a, this idea of how they think it should be immediately without even absorbing anything, listening to the problem or the opportunity or walking around in the shoes of the people that they're going to be yeah. know, communicating to, etc. So obviously with that emphasis on you know, your feeling of not being able to hear enough opened up opportunities to hear more. Mm -hmm. You probably hear more than the average Joe. Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, in terms of you listen, you'd make a point of listening. You know what I mean? Like people don't make a point. of listening. I try very hard to listen. Yeah, I suppose it's. Yeah, I don't mean that in a. In a in no, a no, I get it completely. Condescending way, not condescending at all. I think I, I make a huge effort to hear because I have to. Um, the beautiful thing is you found your way. So, like, whether it's designing a life or not, you found your way through. You know, not being good at school, not being good at exams, or the academic side of things. Mm. The thing that you shone in was art. Sadly, a lot of people in this world don't ever find the thing that makes them, you know, 
tingle, makes them feel excited about you know their career or their life and, and, and yep. you know, things like that. Yeah, a lot of people are living quite a mundane existence, which is very sad. Well, I, as I said earlier, I, I did have these moments where I wasn't completely convinced by it because it had felt so accidental. Mm. Um, and I had, I've had i always been jealous of people who sort of woke up age 12, decided they want to be a dentist, and off they go. to. I, I never had that. I never had a moment where I thought, this is what I want to be. Um, but I, you know, I'm okay with it now. I think there are worse things to be. <laughs> I quite like being a designer. Yeah, it's a great, it's a wonderful career. You can really make a difference and really help people in a lot of ways. That's probably a wrap. Yeah, cool. You got that? Don't tell me you haven't recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about Designing Your Life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. <laughs>